I have been running all day, so I'm going to sit down. <laughs> Open your Bibles to the book of Esther, chapter 5, is where we're going to begin tonight. But I do want to begin tonight um, with just a couple things, a couple announcements. Uh, remember that OCC sewing on Friday, and that is from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock here at the church. All right, ladies? Then on Saturday is a ladies' event. Um, ladies cook out in games, so if you're not signed up for that, ladies, if you can sign up at the information desk. And Teresa Romero is hosting that. Her address, phone number is there, maps to her house at the information desk. Hamburgers will be provided if you want to bring a side dish. So it's supposed to be nice. I know it's supposed to be cold tomorrow night and Friday night. They're even talking about a little bit of snow mixed with rain. Um, yeah, I know, the S word, so... But we'll get our Indian summer afterwards, as they call it here. So it's supposed to warm up this weekend, be nice, and back in the 80s next week. So um, anyway, it's just telling us the things that will come here very shortly. So anyway, ladies, uh, great day on Saturday. Have a great time. Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30, we're going to be here. We're going to finish Chapter 8 of John's Gospel. Uh, Invite somebody out. Uh, We're going to see that Jesus continues to declare to the religious leaders and uh, those who are listening who he is. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. It's a great declaration of deity. And uh, so very important to understand what Jesus is saying in that. So uh, come out and join us, 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings as we continue. Finish chapter 8. We'll be in verses 36 through the end of the chapter um, on Sunday morning. Then also at 2 o'clock we'll be doing the... um, Uh, baptism over here at Hope Therapy Center. So join us for that if you want to be baptized or come out and support those who are being baptized. And um, and it's just a wonderful time for those who just are being obedient to what God wants them to do, and that is come out to the water and make that declaration that they identify with Christ and are going to walk in that newness of life. So 2 o'clock on Saturday is that uh, water baptism. Ladies, those of you who want to be involved with the ladies' study starting a week from tomorrow, um, and that is at 9.30 to 11, you can stop by the bookstore, and you can order your book, Loving God with All Your Mind. And then also, we're still, we got one person that's going to help with children's um, and um, ministry during that time. If somebody else would uh, love to help, we sure could use the help and uh, let me know, or Celeste, or call the church office, and we'll let you know all about that. So there's other things that are there in your bulletin. Take a look at it. One of the things that I want to do as well uh, tonight, and that's really one of the reasons why I brought out the chair, is I think it's a good time for us to spend some time praying for our nation, uh, especially at this time. Uh, Tonight, even as I speak, the president is addressing the nation um, about the situation in the Middle East with... um, uh, ISIS and um, you know the extremists and we've all seen in the news how they have taken over large parts of Iraq and Syria um, by force by violence and it really is sad and very concerning to see uh, the Christians that are being very heavily persecuted um, in Iraq and in Syria matter of fact Mosul Uh, that city has had Christians in that city for 2,000 years, the Christians have been driven out or persecuted or killed. And uh, so there's a great concern that is going on there. Um, And ISIS is very, very dangerous. Um, And the president's going to address the nation tonight and is right now. uh, If he hasn't concluded, he was going to do it at 7 o'clock. How it is that we're going to um, deal with the situation and possible military action um, in the Middle East, so we'll see what comes out of that. Uh, Some people have asked me about the uh, prophetic implications of it, and, uh, you know, we're not quite sure. There's nothing very direct that uh, directly addresses that, but I'm sure it's going to have some serious implications in the Middle East. Matter of fact, ISIS, or, you know, Islamic State, as they call themselves, um, are very much a concern for some of the other Arab nations that are around as well. And um, they have brought um, themselves clear to the border of Israel. And um, they are right there, um, close to the Golan Heights. And so uh, we're going to see what happens. 
Um, they're very, very violent, um, beheading Christians and children and women. And uh, some of you perhaps get the newsletter from Far Reaching Ministries from Wes Bentley. Um, Wes Bentley um, is one that I love to read his newsletters because he really gives um, some good information on what has taken place in those areas of the world that the Christians are being heavily persecuted, that our media won't really, you know, um, give us a full story of that. And um, just some of the things that in his last newsletter about Christians, how they're being tortured and executed in Syria and in um, Iraq, yeah, we need to be praying for them. And, um, you know, it's just uh, we can't quite fully understand it or, you know, um, it just seems like, wow, really is this going on? But it is going on, and they are suffering greatly. And uh, we want to pray for them as well. Tomorrow is the 13th anniversary of September 11th. And, um, of course, when our nation was attacked by al-Qaeda and um, those terrorists, um, there very much is a concern in our nation today and um, that, you know, ISIS or the Islamic extremists are um, wanting to prepare, which they said they are. And they are saying that we are coming to you right before they lop somebody's head off. And um, we're coming to your back door, America and Western Europe. And so many experts are saying it's not a matter of if they attack us, it's when and how. So we want to be praying. We want to be praying for our first responders um, and for our nation. Um, it was 13 years ago that I had the privilege and opportunity to go to Ground Zero a couple weeks after the Twin Towers fell. And to minister to New York City police officers and be at Ground Zero. And one of the things that, you know, so this is a, you know, very somber week and um, special week for me for a lot of reasons and just the memories of the destruction being down at Ground Zero at that time. Um, it, it was absolutely incredible, um, the destruction and the hurt and um, what took place when those planes hit the towers. Um, one of the things that happened, that whole section of Manhattan was closed down. It was like a military zone. And um, you, you were only allowed in if you had, you know, uh, you know approval and access and, and all of that. There was a group of us Calvary Chapel pastors that went in to, to minister down at Ground Zero. Um, for two and a half weeks we were there, and then another group would come in. And we'd be down at Ground Zero all day long. It was still burning when we were there. Matter of fact, I remembered even the smell of um, being in the subway, going there early in the morning, and uh, could smell the burning that was still in the subways and in the tunnels. And at the end of the day, you just brush the dust off of you um, as you know it burned for weeks and days. And and one of the things also that um, that we did was we were down there. And there was a little church about 200 yards away from where the Twin Towers were that actually survived the fall. It was a Catholic church. So it was starting to get cold, and, and um, they were working shifts, uh, firefighters and the police officers. And when I got there, it was kind of from rescue, transfer to recovery. And that was a very, very difficult time um, for particularly um, the first responders, firefighters and police officers. Um, because they were holding on to hope, and some of them hadn't gone home for weeks. Literally, they were there for weeks, didn't go home to their families, would not leave there. And they were trying to get them to go on shifts 12 hours a day so from 4 in, in the afternoon till 4 in the morning. And uh, so what we did is we went into the church, and we would wipe down everything, clean it up for these guys to come in and get sandwiches and just be able to talk and minister to them. And, um, and it, it was very helpful for them. And then the next day, because the dust covered it, we clean it up again, you know, wipe the dust off to chairs and tables and everything else. And then at night, what we did, there was a restaurant. And again, the, all of, you know, that area of Manhattan was closed off. And there was a couple 
um, hotels that were close by, if, if any of you remember, the Sheraton Hotel, that part of it collapsed. There were seven buildings that collapsed. And I remember walking by the, the dinner hall where the, you know, people went down and ate dinner and the food had been left on the plates because they just got up and ran. And, um, you know, the stain of, you know, orange juice that, you know, had evaporated over the weeks and things like that. Those are the pictures that you kind of remember and um, in the stories that you remember as well. And, you know, people just got up and they just left that area. Uh, what we did was there was a restaurant. There was an owner of a restaurant. All the restaurants were closed. And, and if any of you have been to New York, you know that a lot of them are, you know, restaurants that have been owned by family for, for years and generations. And um, so they all lost their business at that time. But there was one restaurant that said, what we're going to do is we're going to feed first responders. We're going to feed uh, police officers. And then there was another one that fed firefighters. And so what we would do is we'd be down at Ground Zero all day, go home and change um, for about an hour or two. Then we would go to the kitchen and peel potatoes and you know, make coffee and, and make dinner for them. And New York police officers, Port Authority, state troopers came in by the hundreds. And we would serve them and get them coffee and pray with them and, and for them and for their families. And so that was a neat ministry. We would do that till 5 o'clock in the morning. So that was the night shift that we would do. And, um, and then what I would do is spend a couple hours riding with um, some of the, the officers, riding with some of the detectives with the SWAT team. Um, and they just were so wanting to talk and um, couldn't believe what had happened. And of course, uh, a lot of them had lost, um, you know, their uh, fellow officers and, and people that they knew and loved very much. It was a very difficult time. And then the people in New York as well, the stories. There's one gal that was there that was helping us and she was in the, um, the North Towers. Um, she was actually in the South Towers. The North Towers got hit first. She was in the South Towers in her window there, and she saw the first plane come and hit the North Tower. And she watched it come into the building and knocked her down. She said she got up, she left, went down. They were announcing that, you know, stay put, everything's fine here in the South Tower. She ran all the way down the steps. She was, I don't know, can't remember, up on the 60th floor or something. Ran, and a lot of people did, and she ran, got in her car, drove to Mississippi. And she didn't come back for a month. And she was just, when she'd served, she just, her hand was shaking. She was so scared. So it really impacted a lot of people. And, and um, so those are the memories that I had. And, and, um, and, you know, it was a um, very difficult time for our nation, as you guys remember, 13 years ago. And then shortly after that, going to Israel with a group of pastors, we were the first group of pastors that went into Jordan and Israel. Um, everything was empty. Um, nobody was traveling at that time. And, um, you know, things were bad in the Middle East. The infatata was happening and all the other things that were taking place. But... Um, when we were down at Ground Zero, we actually uh, got to meet Benjamin Netanyahu, who is now the Prime Minister of Israel. And um, so um, I remember just standing at the platform. They had a platform that, you know, dignitaries would come in and stand, and we were standing behind them, and, and he was just there shaking his head, saying, can't believe they did this. So we need to pray for our nation. Uh, this ISIS is very demonic. Um, I can't help but think about in the tribulation period when Christians are going to be killed that the Antichrist is going to behead them. And I wonder if there's some kind of connection there. This is almost like kind of a prelude. Is that what we're seeing? So I don't know. Uh, we do know that it's right there in that area where there's going to be great upheaval and there's going to be great, great um, turmoil that's going to take place. We know the prophetic scenario says so. 
we don't have time to go into it tonight. You recall last year um, at this time on September 11th, I did a teaching on the burden on Damascus from Isaiah chapter 17. And last year at this time, we were dealing with chemical weapons that Assad had used against his own people. And will we, you know, get militarily involved? And we ended up not doing that. Um, the situation in Syria now, in a lot of ways, um, I mean, it's bad when you start using chemical weapons. I don't want to uh, underestimate the, you know, severity of that. But it's even worse, I think, in worse turmoil today than it was a year ago. And how that's going to affect all of the Middle East, um, how it affects us, the threat it is to us. I personally think that the president is being told that you better deal with this or we're in serious trouble. But my concern for our nation is I really felt like on September 11th that it was a chance for our nation to really repent and turn to the Lord. And my personal opinion, and it's a very strong opinion, is that this nation does need to repent. And the hope for our nation is, is for a third great awakening. We need that. Um, I'm very concerned at the direction that our nation is going spiritually, morally, economically. And I believe that um, there's going to be great, great consequences if we continue down this path. I believe we as Christians have opportunity and we should be really praying for our leaders right now. We need to be praying for our nation. And um, we need to be praying for the church in America as well. Um, so much in the church in America is how happy can you be? The messages that I'm hearing in some of the very popular churches, and listen, please understand me. And if you're you know, new to Calvary Chapel, I'm not trying to be critical. I don't have a critical spirit. I love the church. Um, I don't believe that we're the only church. There are many Christian churches and pastors that are teaching the Word of God that love the Lord. But my concern is what we are seeing um, in the church has become very, very popular, a self-focused, self-centered kind of Christianity. And I don't think it's going to last very long. So let's take some time to really pray for our nation um, and pray for our leaders. We've got an election coming up in a couple months. And, uh, you know, I, I look at it and I think, okay, where's the leadership, the godly leadership that we need? And... Um, so it's, it's is, you know, as Paul would write to Timothy, that in the last days it will be perilous times and that evil imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving many. Jesus warned against it. Um, and um, I believe that we're living in the last days. I really believe that. And I believe that the pieces of the puzzle, the prophetic scenario is coming together at a rapid pace. And I believe that Christians are going to be more and more persecuted, um, not only all around the world, but if we keep going the direction that we are going, that you and I are going to be persecuted. It won't be long. For standing for truth, for morality, uh, for what is right. And we're going to be told that um, we're intolerable, that we're hateful, and how dare you say that, and we're going to make you do the right thing, and we're going to shut you up. And so... Um, we need to stand strong and we need to be grounded in the word of God and we need to keep the main thing the main thing and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified and supporting one another and praying and this is a time folks don't go to sleep spiritually not in the days in which we're living in and be paying attention to what's going on and I think it's a great opportunity for us to be light as well to be light in this darkness that we see so around us. So, um, you know, let's be praying, and let's take a little bit of time and do that right now. As Father, we come, and we do pray for our nation. As um, our leaders right now are coming up with a strategy to, to deal with um, those who are killing innocent women and children and Christians, and even those... Um, that aren't Christians, 
even those of, of other religions, if they're not just like them, the radical um, Islamic movement. And a lot of innocent people are being slaughtered right now. And Lord, we know that it's more than the Middle East. We know that, that our brothers and sisters are being persecuted very heavily in Iran, um, in North Korea, uh, parts of the, the Far East, in Africa, in Sudan particularly, and Lord, um, even in South America. And Father, what my prayer is, is that you would help our brothers and sisters to be strong and courageous. And Lord, I pray for a hand of protection. But Lord, I pray that you would just work supernaturally. And Lord, um, we can't fully understand it as we're over here and we don't have the full picture, but Lord, we do lift them up in prayer. And Lord, we know that um, the days are dark and evil and our nation has been getting further and further away from you, spiritually, morally, Lord, we're concerned. And Father, I pray that there be repentance among our leadership. Lord, we have an election coming up. And Lord, we, we desire for those who fear you to be leading us, at least have a respect for your word. But Lord, it seems to be lacking. And Father, so we pray. We pray that our leaders would turn to you that we recognize as a nation that we need you. And as David would write in the Psalms, that some trust in horses and in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. How we need to get back to that, not trusting in our horses and chariots, but Lord, trusting in you. And we've gotten away from being a Christian nation to a nation that's accepting every kind of immorality and sin. And Lord, trying to redefine marriage in the family, saying that evil is good and good is evil. And Lord, we even here as Christians are being pressured to compromise more and more, and I pray that we would stand for you and for truth. Father, my prayer is, is that you would help us to open our eyes and for us to be a light Father, to the darkness that's around us in our homes and in our workplaces, in this community. Father, we do lift up the radio program that goes forth that is reaching so many people along the front range that that would be able to continue. And I thank you for all those men that are on Grace FM that are dedicated to teaching your word to the scriptures that it would reach into the cars, into the homes, Lord, into the, the, the internet, online podcasts, into the ears of more and more people. And Lord, I pray that churches and pastors here in this community and across our nation would stand on the truth of the Word of God and not compromise it that there would be a great awakening, our eyes opened up to how we need to turn to you and call upon you and repent from our sins. Repent from our sins and turning away from you. Lord, how we need your protection from those who desire to destroy us and destroy our nation those who desire to persecute very heavily those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Father, I want to lift up our first responders to you. I pray for police officers, not only in our own community, in firefighters and those who put their lives on the line every single day for our good and safety. We pray for their protection, for their strength. We pray that you would bless them. And Lord, that... Um, that, Lord, in the ministry that I have, in being a chaplain, that I would have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And, Lord, I do pray that you would be with our military, those men and women that are serving our nation, that have been laying their lives on the line, particularly since 13 years ago, 
when the war on terrorism came against us and our nation was attacked so brutally. So many innocent people died. Such a disregard for, for life. That's what their thought and mindset is. That's what makes us so evil. And Lord, I just pray for our men and women that are serving our nation and protecting our interests. And Father, I pray for us tonight as we spend some time in your word that you would stir our hearts and even in the darkness that we see and maybe the darkness of the situation that we find in our own lives, that Lord, that we would know that you are light and you're with us and you're working. And Lord, we can trust in you in everything. You're our hope. And may we find our strength in you and walk close to you in the days in which we're living. So bless this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, and then we'll get into our Bible study, one of the things that really I'll never forget down at Ground Zero, whenever we were down there, whenever they found remains of anybody, a whistle would blow. And all the officers and the firefighters would line up on the road. They'd line up with a salute. And as the ambulance would back up and they would put those remains and, you know, just the respect for life that was there. And as it passed by, they'd give that salute. Very quiet. Very quiet, very respectful. You know, and, and those are the things that really just touched my heart and, and really was amazing that a lot of people never really got to see every day. It didn't matter if it was just a, a bone or whatever. And then that would go, you know, remains would go to the morgue. And again, there'd be another group of officers there in, in salute, um, showing their respect to those who had fallen, whether it was a first responder or whether it was somebody that worked at the Twin Towers. You know, you compare it to those who, you know, the terrorists are very smart today. That's the difference between now and 13 years ago in that they're using social media to recruit and to get their message across. And they're very, very effective. And there are people that are leaving our nation and Western Europe going over there to be trained by them so they can come back and they can, you know, possibly attack us. That's what the concern is. And they're reaching a lot of people through the social media. And as they, you know, also through the social media and through YouTubes and, the, you know, of these beheadings, they can put a lot of fear, in, you know. And, and um, you think about how they devalue life compared to what I saw down at Ground Zero. Um, really is quite evil, quite dark what's going on over there. We got a Bible study. So let's go to chapter 5 of the book of Esther. This was a dark time, and in, in this time, 2,500 years ago, wasn't it, as we've seen in the book of Esther. And of course, as the story has unfolded, here in chapter 5 we read, Now it happened that on the third day of Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across um, from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then uh, Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. And of course, we know that as the story has unfolded for us here, that at this time that this evil man Haman who was so upset at Mordecai Mordecai who is the cousin to Esther he's the one that raised her and of course the king um, when he uh, would put away Queen Vasti because she did not come out and appear before the king when he requested in chapter one he made that decree that she will never come before the king again and her position is going to be given to another so we know that Queen uh, Esther, she would be selected uh, Esther as the queen, and she was raised by Mordecai because Esther's parents 
were, of course, uh, had deceased. And Esther is in the palace here. And we know that Mordecai, he was promoted within the king's gate. The king's gate is where all of the king's business would take place. And there's this other man who's a picture of Satan, Haman. We looked at him. And he was promoted, and a decree went out that those in the king's gate would be able to, were to bow down to him and pay homage to him. And Mordecai would not do that. Mordecai, who revealed his Jewish identity. And, of course, Haman, we talked about how he was a descendant of the Amalekites who were the enemies of the Jews and treated them very badly. But it is Mordecai that said, listen, um, I believe and I pay homage to the true and the living God. I will not bow down to a man. I'm not going to bow down to a statue. So Haman was so furious at Mordecai that he was determined not only to put him to death, but Haman came up with this plot, as we saw um, in uh, the previous chapter. And we saw that um, in chapter 3 that it was Haman that came and was determined to not only destroy Mordecai, but all of the Jewish race. So he's very deceptive. And again, he's a picture of Satan because he comes, and in his deception, he says to the king, there's a group of people that are in the empire, that are not keeping your laws. And we need to do away with them, king. They're rebelling, and I'll even pay for it. And King Ahasuerus, who is ruling over the most powerful empire on the face of the earth at this time, that the Medo-Persian Empire extends all the way from India to northern Africa and all throughout the Middle East. So there's 127 provinces, and Haman, who is very deceptive, and very clever. He knows how to work the king. He doesn't say it's the Jewish people. He gives the implication that it's, you know, a small group of people that aren't keeping your laws. And you see, the Jews, they were ones that were not in rebellion against the king. But Haman said that we need to put them down. I'll pay for it. And the king said, okay, let's do that. I don't want anybody rebelling against me. And you're paying for it. So he gave Haman the signet ring, and he sealed that decree, and then all the couriers went out and said in the 12th month, that is in 11 months, what's going to happen is that all the Jews are going to be killed and all their possessions are going to be plundered. I don't think that the king had any idea that we're talking about 3 million people here that were about ready to be exterminated, that their possessions were going to be plundered, and I don't think the king really was interested. He said, you go ahead and take care of it, Haman. So Haman, in his deception and lies, and we talked about um, how Satan, that he is the father of lies. Matter of fact, we're going to see that on Sunday in John chapter 8, as the religious leaders are, are you know, arguing with Jesus and hurling insults at him that we're going to see that Jesus is going to say that you guys brag about being Abraham's descendants, but your father really is of the devil. And he is one that is the father of lies, and he is a murderer, and he's a deceiver. That's what the scripture says. And he is one that presents himself as an angel of light, and we need to remember that. But he's a liar. So here is Haman that was lying and being deceiving, and the decree goes out. So Mordecai and the Jews, they hear about it in chapter 4, as we studied last week. They begin to wail and to weep and lament because, you know, in a few months they're going to be destroyed. And there's Mordecai with sackcloth on, and, and he's mourning, and Esther hears about it. And Esther being isolated there in the, in the palace, she doesn't know what's going on. So she sends some of her maidservants and, and Hathak and the eunuch, go and give you know, Mordecai some change of clothes. You know, he's embarrassing himself. And so that's what they did. And Mordecai said, you need to tell Esther what's going on, that this decree has gone out. And Esther, you need to step in. You need to help out. You're the queen. You need to go and say something to the king. And you remember last week that we saw that Esther said that I can't do that. Initially, that was her response. I just can't go in front of the king because the law was that if you went in front of the king without being announced, without the king, you know, asking for you, that if he did not raise up that golden scepter and accept you, then you could be put to death. She said, I just can't go in, you know, in the presence of the king, because if he doesn't accept me, then that's it for me. I'll lose my life. 
You see, Quest Esther, even though she was the queen, she didn't have that normal relationship with the king like we think about those relationships that we can have with others, you know, uh, with, you know, our spouse. It was that she was there in the palace and she was in captivity and she was one that even to go and present herself before the king was risking her life. But then Mordecai said something to her very, very, um, you know, that was important. And that is Mordecai said, what makes you think that you're going to escape this, Esther? Even though Esther had not revealed her Jewish identity, that you're going to be put to death because of this decree. The law can't be changed. And we know that Esther that you became queen. How do you know God didn't put you in his place for such a time as this? And I just want to encourage you here tonight because perhaps you find yourself in a situation or in a place where it seems like it's hard and it's difficult, but trust in the Lord that he wants to use you and trust in the Lord that he desires for you to be a light in the darkness that you find yourself in. And Esther, God has raised you up for such a time as this. So sometimes we find ourselves, why am I in this job or why am I in this situation? Perhaps the Lord, and he definitely desires to, wants to use you. And you're there for such a time as this. So here is Esther, and she calls for a fast, and they would fast and pray, her and her maidservants, and she told Mordecai, tell all the other Jews that they are to fast as well for three days. So they've been praying and fasting. And she says that I will go before the king. I'm going to, to intercede. Uh, I'm going to make my petition, my request to him. Um, and so she's praying. She's fasting. So are the Jews. And they found themselves in a situation where they had to trust in the Lord. It was only the Lord that could help them in this situation. Because again, once the decree was signed, it could not be changed. And she's willing to put her life on the line and go before the king as we end at chapter 4, as you recall. She said, if I perish, I perish. Such great courage for her to do that. And we see this courage being worked out as she goes before the king here, and she's strong, and she's courageous, and she's risking her life on behalf of her people. And we talked about this summer in July in our being faithful, um, you know, a call to faithfulness that God desires for us to be strong and courageous. And remember the principles and the truths that we saw in Scripture that will help us to be strong and courageous, and that is to know that the Lord is with us. Moses told Joshua, Joshua, uh, I'm going to die. I'm not going to go into the promised land, but you're going to lead the people. So you be strong and courageous and know that the Lord is with you just as he's been with me. And then as you go into Joshua chapter 1, that Joshua was told to meditate on the Word of God day and night. And as you meditate on the Word of God day and night, you'll be successful and you'll prosper. And, and Joshua will be strong and courageous. So it's very important that, that we be meditating, studying the Word of God and having it worked out in our lives as well. So those things that we talked about, if we're going to be strong and courageous and listen, not only are we going to be called, as we've talked about in this study, that is, Mordecai said that, listen, I'm, you know, I believe in the true and living God. I'm not going to bow down to you, Haman. And he finds himself being persecuted in all the Jewish people here. That there's that time in our lives where we're going to reveal to others that I'm a Christian. I'm not going to go and do this sinful activity or go hang out this place that's going to cause me to sin. Uh, I'm not going to do these things because I believe in the Lord. But there's going to be that testing in that time where all of us, I believe in the days in which we're living in, are going to be called to be strong and courageous. Are you going to be strong and courageous for the Lord? And there are certain things that we need to be doing to be strong, to be one that has courage in the Lord, and that is that we need to stay close to him, putting on the full armor of God, that we need to be ones that realize that the Lord is with us. So she's very strong and, and courageous here. She steps out in faith that God is working in this situation, and, and she comes before him, and he receives her. As he lifts up the golden scepter and he receives Esther here. And, and I'm so thankful that the Lord receives us. He receives us not on our own merit. He receives us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
because we're believers in Jesus Christ. And he says to her, you know, I'll give you half of the kingdom as, as we see here. As Queen Esther, what is it your request? Verse 3, she'll be given to you up to half of the kingdom and, and whatever you request. And so here we see that she's going to make that request concerning, you know, this banquet that she wants. Let's read about it in verse 4. As Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. And then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So we see here that um, as the banquet in verse 6 goes on to say of wine, and the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. So it's interesting that there are some here that say that Esther um, got cold feet. She, she sidesteps the opportunity here to expose Haman, and I don't agree with that that commentary when there are those who say she should have just come out and said, Haman, this evil man is plotting against us. She's been praying and fasting for three days. And I believe that she's being led by the Lord here. She is asking for this banquet and then asks for another banquet the next day, and she's going to expose Haman for his evil deed. You see, it's very, very important, listen, when we find ourselves in a dark place or a dark situation, it's very important that we be seeking the Lord, that we be looking to Him. And that's what we see with the men and women of faith throughout the Scriptures when they found themselves in a situation that, that they couldn't solve that situation, they, they couldn't come up with any solutions, that it really caused them to fall on their knees. We see that with Hezekiah when the Assyrians, remember, as we were going through, you know, the, the stories of Second Chronicles, how Hezekiah, uh, Assyria came and surrounded Jerusalem, and, and they were the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. It, it's about 710, you know, B.C., and, and Hezekiah is there listening to Shennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, hurl these threats, and we're going to destroy you and surrender and all of this. And Hezekiah, he couldn't, you know, fight this army. There's no way that they could, in their own strength, win the victory. So Hezekiah and the leaders would pray and fast, and an angel came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. You remember the story. But they sought the Lord, and they were looking to Him, and they were praying. And we know that it was Nehemiah, as we read this summer, that Nehemiah, as he heard that the city, you know, after the captivity was over, still was in rubble, and he prayed and fasted for four months. And then the king asked them, what's your request, Nehemiah? And he was able to answer. He was prepared in his heart. Sometimes when we're really going through it, it's hard to pray, isn't it? Sometimes we're going through such loss and such darkness and such turmoil that it's hard to just stop and pray and seek the Lord. And we don't know what to do. We're so drained. We're, we're so, so, you know, defeated. We're so down. We're hurting so badly. And I want to just encourage you that especially in those times to look for the Lord and to really be looking to Him and His Word. And sometimes we don't know how to pray or what to say, but I want to read to you from Romans chapter 8, verse 26 that says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for his saints according to the will of God. In other words, he takes those groanings when it feels like that all we can do is just Oh, Lord, I'm hurting so bad, I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit interceding for us makes those words for us to present before the Lord, before the throne of God. And that's comforting to me, to know that the Lord knows our hearts. He knows our hearts better than we do. But in those times of just defeat and discouragement, continue to pray and seek the Lord. And that's what Esther's been doing here. So as she does here, she asks, and, you know, the, 
and Esther answered in verse 7 and said, My petition and request is this. If I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So we see here that Esther, you know, she, she has this banquet, as verse 4 tells us, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet I prepared. And as the king comes, he's going, Esther, what do you want? I'm going to have another banquet tomorrow. I want you to bring Haman. And then verse 9, so Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. In verse 11, we read, Haman told them of his great riches and the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he advanced him above the off officials, that is, and the servants of the king. And moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther, invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So we see here that life is really good for Haman right now. And notice his pride and his great arrogance here. He calls for his wife. He calls for his friends. And once again, he begins to brag about his riches and his, you know, promotions. And I'm better than everybody else. And I want you guys to know that Esther had a banquet and invited only me and the king. And she's going to have another banquet tomorrow. And only I am invited in the king. I am so special, and I am so great, and, and look at me, my great wealth and all of this. So he's really pumping himself up. He's really full of pride and arrogance. And you know the verse, don't you? That Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 declares and tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And even though he is bragging about himself, we're going to see that Haman here is going to be brought down. And you see, for you and for me as Christians, we need to remember that every good gift comes from above. And we have no reason to boast in what we have and how God has used us. The glory goes to Him, doesn't it? He's the one that has saved us. And He's the one that blesses our lives, so we give thanks to him. And what is interesting here is Haman here, he says in verse you know, 13, but nothing avails me. I'm still not happy because Mordecai, he just won't bow down to me. Here is this man who seems to have everything, the prestige, the power, the wealth, and yet he's not happy. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of what Jesus said. What good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And what is the lesson that we are learning over and over again in John's gospel is Jesus is saying that if you thirst, come to me and drink. If you drink of the well of the world, you're going to thirst again. But come to me and drink and come eat of me. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, as he would say in Matthew's gospel, the Beatitudes there that are listed there in, in Matthew chapter 5. But here's the thing that we are learning, and I hope that all of us are really, really getting this down, not just in our heads, but in our hearts to a deeper degree, that he is our satisfaction and fulfillment in everything in every area of our life. And yes, every good gift comes from above, and we can be thankful for that. And we can be blessed by that. But ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and true joy comes by a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Stay close to Him. And the things of the world and the pleasures and the prestige and the wealth of the world, it's not going to bring you that fulfillment and satisfaction that the world looks for. In John chapter 8, we're going to see that Jesus is going to be talking to them about Abraham. They're saying, well, we're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus is going to talk to them about true descendants of Abraham or ones that believe in him.
And they're going to say to him, well, what do you mean? Are you saying that you've seen Abraham? You're not but 50 years old. Because Jesus said that Abraham was glad to see my day. And some believe that perhaps that Jesus was making a reference to Genesis chapter 14. We'll talk a little bit about this on Sunday. Genesis chapter 14, well, Melchizedek comes to, to greet Jesus. And some of you have looked at that text, and a lot of times the question comes up, Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, you know, which is uh, Jerusalem, um, the, the king of righteousness, who, who comes with bread and wine, which represents communion, um, as I think about it. And we see that Melchizedek comes to, to Abraham, and Abraham receives that bread and wine. But here's something that we forget. So the debate is, and you can go to the Psalms, you can go to the Hebrews that talks about Melchizedek, that Jesus is, you know, in the priesthood of Melchizedek, uh, a priesthood that lasts forever. And so the debate is, was Melchizedek in Genesis 14 a Christophany of Jesus, or was it not? And so you can look at that, but here's the thing that oftentimes we forget. There was another king that came to Abraham, the king of who? Sodom. And he says, here's all the spoils. Take them. And Abraham said, no. I'm not going to take the riches and the spoils of the world and what it seemed like as you really look at that, and again, we'll talk about it more in detail, that he was saying no to the world and the riches, and he was saying yes to Jesus. And that's my prayer for us. You know what? We can enjoy the things that we have and be thankful. But for those of us who have Jesus, we have everything. And we need to keep that eternal perspective. So here's Haman. He's still not happy because of this one individual that he's all upset and full of wrath. He's full of hatred. And, and we close the chapter by seeing that his wife, Zeres, and all his friends said to him, let gallows be made 50 cubits high. And the morning, you know, suggested to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it and go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. 50 cubits is about 75 feet high. Why so high? So everybody could see Mordecai hanging there. So Haman would give the message, don't mess with me. See what happens when you do that? We're going to see that the Lord's going to turn the tables as we go into chapter 6. I was hoping to get there tonight, but we're not going to get there. You see the hatred here that he has and the malice and the bitterness that he has. It takes a lot of energy takes a lot of energy out of you. If you got bitterness or unforgiveness, if you have hatred towards somebody, if you have malice, wrath towards somebody, it'll zap you of your joy and your peace and it'll take a lot of energy out of you. We see it with Saul. Remember the first king of Israel? That he hated David says that he was jealous of David and hated David, David, and he wanted David dead. So he spent years pursuing David there in the wilderness. And Saul would not repent from that. And he ended up dying a bitter man on Mount Gilboa in a very tragic way. And his life was tragic because of his hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness that he had in his heart towards the individual. And David was innocent. Mordecai here is innocent. It was because of his pride. His pride that he didn't like hearing the songs of the women singing that, that Saul has killed his thousand, but David is ten thousands. And God's hand was on David, and David killed Goliath, and Saul became very jealous and bitter and angry towards him, just as Haman here doesn't like the fact that Mordecai is going to bow down to him. There's another individual in the New Testament that he had a lot of hatred. His name was Saul as well, Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 8, who caused a lot of persecution against the Christians, was dragging them out of their homes and putting them to death. But there's something that happened with Saul of Tarsus. You know the story, Acts chapter 9, that he met the Lord. And he was converted. And Saul of Tarsus became known as Paul the Apostle, 
who ended up being full of love, love for his countrymen and love for the saints, for people. Listen, I'm going to close with this, and then we'll close in prayer. That if you have malice or you're bitter towards anybody or you just have a rotten attitude, that person gets under my skin or I don't like them or I like to talk about them, will you repent and you give it to the Lord? And you might be thinking, well, this person has really been rotten to me, Pastor, or he's really hurt me or she's really hurt me. Will you do this? Will you give it to the Lord? And as Hebrews says, don't let that root of bitterness begin to spread in your heart because it'll be like cancer and it will consume you and it'll begin to do its destructive work in you and produce its rotten fruit in your life. And I know that it's very difficult. Here's the thing. We can't do it in our own strength. It has to be a supernatural work of the Lord. And again, coming to him and saying, Lord, help me. Help me to not be bitter or full of wrath or so angry. But Lord, help me to see that person and react in the situation the way that you would want me to. I understand there can be a righteous anger, but you don't want to be in that place where you're letting that begin to do its destructive work in your spiritual life. That we can go to the Lord day by day, bit by bit. I think one of the hardest things, listen, one more minute, that some of you are called to do is to forgive somebody who has hurt you very deeply. And that's a work only the Lord can do supernaturally as you go day by day asking the Lord for help. But you don't want that to just consume you because it takes a lot of energy out of you and it will zap you of your joy and your peace that the Lord desires for you to have. Father, I do pray that, Lord, tonight, as we see a man, Haman, that was so, so bitter towards an individual, and it was caused by his pride and arrogance. Lord, that we would always be humble before you. And Lord, sometimes we let pride and arrogance interfere with us. Maybe somebody doesn't pay the attention to us at work that we want or, or in the family or whatever it might be, and we take offense to it. But Lord, I know there are other circumstances where perhaps that that person has really hurt us. But Lord, you haven't called us to wrath. You haven't called us to bitterness. You haven't called us to live in anger. But Lord, help us to forgive when we need to forgive. And Lord, we know we can't do it in our own flesh when we've been cut deep, when we've been hurt badly and I pray that Lord that you would do a work in anybody's heart here tonight and tomorrow and the next day and the next day of just freeing any of us of any kind of wrath or bitterness or hatred towards an individual to forgive when we need to forgive Lord, doesn't mean that we accept their sin or their situation, that we approve of it, but Lord, it means that we desire to present them to you and pray for them for their salvation or pray that, Lord, they would repent. But Lord, love with the love of Jesus Christ and that supernatural love that only you can give to us Father, I pray that tonight again that we would always look to you in whatever it is that we face, in the darkness of our lives that come to us, the trials, knowing that we can cry out to you and that you're working, intervening on our behalf just as you're intervening in this story, this true story here, 
to save your people, that you see us and you hear us and you desire to work to, Lord, that you may be glorified. Again, Father, we thank you for tonight, for us being here. We thank you for your love and for Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins. And Father, I pray that we would always remember to keep our eyes on the things above. And Lord, that um, to keep eternal perspective that our true salvation only comes from Jesus and his death and burial and resurrection. And Lord, that true satisfaction and life abundantly comes by just living for you. Father, take us all home safely here tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Would you please stand? I'm going to 